Welcome to the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. Previously on Avatar The Last Airbender, Aang speaks to the spirit of Avatar Roku on the solstice and learns that it is more urgent than ever that he master the elements before the summer, lest the Fire Nation become unstoppable. So today we are going to jam-pack uh, four episodes in. We are doing episode 10, Jet, episode 11, The Great Divide, episode 12, The Storm, and episode 13, The Blue Spirit. So why don't we just dive right in with episode 10? All right. Yep. When Aang, Katara, and Sokka get caught by the Fire Nation, they are rescued by Jet and his band of merry men. From high up in the trees, Jet's mission seems honorable, but Sokka's instincts sense an uglier, more complicated truth. His suspicions pit him against the others, and by the time Aang and Katara see the light, it's already too late. All right. Yeah. So Jet is psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he might be a classic sociopath, right? Yeah. He, well, he's definitely somebody who believes that the ends justify the means. Um, and But he, yeah, he doesn't have any empathy or for anyone, really. Um. <laughs> I kind of actually forgot about Jet, this particular episode. Um, and I think Mike and I could talk about this later in spoilers, but um, I kind of forgot that this episode existed <laughs> until I rewatched it. Um, but a little I also, bit I did too. Yeah, and but I also f- forgot how good it is. I I think it's some really strong writing and some really gray morality. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, again, I feel like this is just kind of what I say every episode. But this is some dark stuff for a kids show and sophisticated and this kind of like gray zone is. You know, not the kind of nuance I would expect. <laughs> show. Um, you know, I think so. Obviously, it calls a lot to like a Robin Hood or a Peter Pan type of thing. Mm-hmm. There's sort of this boy leader um, and his group of outcasts or outlaws fighting against, um, you know, the establishment. And so it it starts off in a very you know, kind of a whimsical, great little way. You know, everybody, I love Robin Hood. I love Peter Pan. So I was really all strapped in for this to be kind of like a rollicking adventure and be kind of great and have, you know, this kind of guerrilla warfare against the Fire Nation. And it gets dark really quick. (laughs) It it very quickly becomes um, much, much darker than that. And... I don't know. There, were, I had a couple of thoughts about this episode. I did think this was a really great one. I thought it was really well written um, and well paced. It was one of the tighter episodes we've had in terms of the plot was really concentrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there wasn't really a B story. It was everything was just like that that singular tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought it worked pretty well. I thought. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of make any 
overarching, or not hard to, but I'm self-conscious making any kind of like overarching thoughts on these kinds of episodes because, you know, I don't know what's going to come back around and I don't know, you know, I think I feel a little bit defensive, like I'm being too critical or looking at this show with too much of a analytical eye. But at the same time, I think the show really stands up to it. Like it is for children, but I think that all of these deeper themes and more complicated through lines are definitely there. So I feel conflicted. Like I want to point out some of these things, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, you're being too hard on it. It's like a show meant for kids, you know, chill out. Um, right. But the show creators clearly, I mean, they definitely thought about this stuff. There was definitely like a writer's room meeting where, you know, these, all these little subtle things got brought up and somebody was like, well, maybe it can't be the main thing, but we'll hide it in the background somehow. Yeah. I mean, it's really sophisticated storytelling, I think. Um, so some of the things, you know, just little bits and pieces that stuck out to me are, this is Katara's second and definitely the most explicit crush that we get from her. Yeah. First we yes. have Haru, and now we have Jet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Haru was, I think, much subtler. I think I definitely took away from it that that was kind of a crush, and I think it was drawn and framed in that way, but this is explicit. You know, we get kind of the, like, the heightened blush on her face, and the slow-mo like, ascension to the treehouse. <laughs> right, like, it, went on, it went on, like, Dreamweaver was practically playing yeah, in the background. Yeah, um, which I thought Visually was a really great. I think I think this episode was the same one too that had um, a slow motion segment when Jet rescues them from the Fire Nation. I I believe it's in this episode. He's doing like a flip, and it like it goes in slow motion for a minute as he's rotating through the air, and then it catches back up into real time. Yeah, so the, the like the really stop co- time of of yeah. like the Matrix kind of a thing. Yeah, there was a lot of cool animated tricks like that in this you know there was the whole visual um romantic thing you know where it got all dreamy and then the stop motion so i noticed a lot of that throughout this episode um ways that the animation was heightened to kind of match the emotional uh moments in this story they spent a lot of money i think on the animation in this episode because it is a marked high quality animation the backgrounds are stunning. The movements are fluid, like all the fight scenes that were choreographed in it. The so much about it, like the even down to the lighting of each of the characters is is very detailed. I mean, there's a it's gorgeously animated episode. That fight scene at the end between Aang was just eye candy the entire way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really liked all that. Um you know, I thought it was beautifully drawn. I liked the tightness of the story, but kind of to get in and pull apart the story a little bit. So basically this whole thing, you know, Aang and Katara are very uh, taken in by Jet and by his, you know, little treehouse empire and by the loyalty that he has from his men and by the noble you know, mission that he has rebelling against the Fire Nation. And Aang and Katara are sort of very ready to sign on to that version of things. Uh, And Sokka is not. You know, there's this whole thing throughout the episode about his instincts. I love that. That's simply my Rory thing. Um, So good. It's, you know, it's Sokka's instincts and, and what they're telling him. And, 
you know, he he opens up by saying, you know, hey, we shouldn't fly. We should be walking. This is what my instincts tell me. Appa's really noticeable. And, you know, of course, they end up walking right into the Fire Nation's camp. But I also think, you know, Sokka's not necessarily wrong. Like, that is, again, some of his sort of strategic thinking and that role that he plays in sort of considering the larger tactics of their party, or as Aang and Katara are, are a little bit more oblivious to or don't care as much about that. And yes, you know, in this particular case, he's wrong because it leads them right into the Fire Nation camp. Uh, you know, I think he's he, he was, like, wrong in this instance, but not necessarily, like, overall <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, that's, I think, what's so gray about this episode is that it's not that Sokka is wholesale wrong, um, and neither is he wholesale right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting because they keep doing a little bit of a bait and switch. I mean, Aang does really kind of take a backseat in this episode um, because initially you think it's going to be about Katara, and it's going to be about Katara's growth because she's been blinded by her crush and her infatuation um, of Jet. But then it kind of switches on you, and it's really about Sokka proving his skills and his worth, his leadership abilities, his smarts, you know, and mm-hmm. his compassion. So it kind of, initially you think it's going to be like a Katara learning moment, but it's actually really, in my opinion, a Sokka episode. It's about Sokka's mm-hmm. growth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. fair. And I don't even know if it's necessarily about his growth. I do think it's an episode focused on him, but... Really, it's kind of about the others recognizing his value yes, in yes. the group. You know, Aang and Katara are sort of very dismissive of him. Um, and, well, I guess those thoughts are for a later episode. So I'll, I'll compartmentalize those thoughts about Sokka and yeah, save them for later. But keep myself from being like, this didn't <laughs> last, like, he did a good thing in this episode and it didn't last long. Like, there was no glory that, you know, yeah. that, that we immediately Sokka. at each other's throats next time. But, you know, I think that um, Katara is really quick to dismiss Sokka's quote-unquote instincts as jealousy of Jet. Um, and it's it's not quite that. But she's also not wrong. I don't, I don't know how to feel about the way that Katara in particular treats Sokka in this episode. Because they do have a sub- sibling relationship and they are at each other's throats and Sokka has in the past displayed a certain level of immaturity um you know and so it's not that Katara is it's not that Katara is completely out of line in in you know thinking that Sokka is just jealous or that you know whatever his personal stuff that he has going on but it's always difficult for me when people side with relative strangers over the people that they know and love that's always like a hard thing for me to reconcile and it's not that it doesn't happen in real life because it does you know but when I pull back and I listen I I think about this episode Katara has this crush on Jet and so she immediately sides with him and thinks that he is noble and a person who's doing good things and has the best intentions and immediately thinks that her brother is in the wrong. And even when things come up, 
And Sokka explains, you know, hey, we were here and they attacked this old man just to rob him and, you know, he wasn't a threat. Katara is willing to accept, you know, Jet's explanation without closely examining it because she has a crush on him and because Sokka's her brother and she's more inclined to be dismissive of him, I guess. And I guess I don't... I don't know. I don't want to say that that's bad because it's not. It's a very real difficult thing that people do <laughs> but it kind of makes me want to like shake her a little bit <laughs> so this is why i think like i immediately got this vibe from jet and i i this is a character i'm familiar with because i've seen the show obviously but um Sokka, i think was showing some resistance initially when they met about whatever his plan was and jet was like oh buddy you know that- <laughs> I, I had the best part picked out. I had this really special job I really need you for. And, like, even as a viewer, I was like, oh, that just, it's like... It's a classic manipulator. A oh, classic yeah. oh, abuser, totally. actually. And yeah. you're just like, oh, my God, he's so awful. And later what? in the episode, he's, he, like, when Katara, like, figures it all out, he, like, strokes her face. And I just wrote down... Oh, just, oh I know. Just so a face gross. stroker. Uh, <laughs> it's so, it's so wrong. Ew. So well, wrong. like, even in the beginning, like, in the opening scene when Jet rescue, rescues them from the Fire Nation, it's, like, this repeated beat throughout the battle sequence that Sokka is about to engage the enemy, and Jet just, like, swoops in and, you know, takes over so that Sokka doesn't actually get to fight or land a blow or anything, because Jet just keeps on coming in, um... You know, and and it's just such a and and also in such showy like ridiculous ways. It's not like Sokka's like fighting for his life and Jet comes to his aid. It's like a deliberate like swooping in and taking over sort of a thing. Yeah, I've watched my fair share of um, kung fu movies, and the only place I've ever seen those weapons that he uses were like the third set of extra weapons that came with a Ninja Turtle toy. Like that, those don't make it out into movies and TV all that much, whatever they're called. Those like hook, sword, whatever's. Yeah, I just called them crowbars. They're crowbars with handles on them. Oh. That's what I think of anyway. Sure. There's like hooks, they look like crowbars, but they've, you know, they've got hilts. Right. (laughs) You know, if you want to think he's a thug, he's a thug. I, I I mean, he really is. There's something about the way Jet is animated. And it's also that stupid piece of straw he's chewing. Oh. <laughs> and cl- clearly, kind of his physical inspiration is Spike from Cowboy Bebop. Yep. Um, like, very clearly, that's kind of like, yeah, I've got like this aura of cool, which is basically, you know that piece of straw is because they can't animate him smoking. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there was something about it. Like, even the first time I watched it, I just, like, my hackles rose. I was just like, oh, there's something off about this guy. <laughs> yeah, that moment where he said, oh, I got the best job for you, Sokka. That, like, even as a viewer, like, I was like, oh, I totally would be taken in by this, at least at this point. You know, like, this is someone who's invited us in and shown off and everything. I mean, I don't, I guess I don't blame Katara because I can imagine that she didn't, you know, she doesn't realize the stakes, you know, she doesn't see it as choosing someone over her brother, because she doesn't realize that that someone is at odds with her brother. 
Really, though? Because I feel like she really explicitly chooses Jet over Sokka. Well, I I actually agree a bit more with Mike. She does choose Jet over Sokka, but I also think it's because her reading of Sokka is not entirely wrong. That he's jealous of Jet. And True. that's what she's focusing on. She's she's like, well, you're so quick to think the worst of him because you're jealous of him. Uh-huh. And that's what I saw. And that's why. And, of course, Katara's judgment is going to be clouded by the fact that she has a crush on him. But I think her coming at it was, well, I'm going to give Jet the benefit of the doubt because I know you are jealous of him. True. True. So, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think it's great. I don't think, I, I clearly think Katara was in the wrong, but I also don't think it's like a morally bad decision or anything on Katara's part. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that she would be like, well, why don't we give Jed a second chance? We haven't heard his side of the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's only it's because we've seen Sokka's side of the story that we know Sokka's right. Yeah. So. It's complicated by the fact that they're siblings for sure. And the, that, and I think it, definitely her having a crush on Jet definitely complicates things a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just love, she's sure. like, but I made him this hat. <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> and the hat was hideous. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, ouch. <laughs> Again, like, I also have to say that as, as, as it came about in the previous episode of this podcast, I tend to identify with Katara a lot. Um, and so sometimes it's really hard for me to see her doing things that I know I myself have done. In the past. <laughs> like I may have like made some questionable choices in regard to my crushes in the past and may have treated my friends and family poorly. There's no, no <laughs> in, evidence of that. I mean, I'm not saying one way or another, but, you know, just that I think I tend to be a little bit harsher on Katara than I do on any other character in the show, I think. Which is strange, because normally, well, I guess normally I don't see too many fictional characters that I identify with that strongly. And I don't, I guess I don't know how strongly I identify with her yet, but there's a lot of things that I see that I like am cringing inwardly because they feel, they feel too close to like my own personal lived experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think it's like that thing of like, you recognize yourself in someone else and it's terrifying. And so you look away. (laughs) So it's very possible that I am being unfairly harsh in my judgment of Katara. Yeah, I think I, I think that you're you're a little bit too close to Katara to, <laughs> to make an objective objective uh, judgment on her. I think. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised you don't just hate her because she's yeah. so like you. <laughs> no, because yeah, because like when something reflects you know some whatever less than favorable characteristic, there's people in this show that I like I will have that with at some point. But like, and I I'm pretty sure I hated them immediately. I was like, oh, that guy sucks. You know, because, cause like, he's doing that thing that I do that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah, uh, it's hard. And um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, but see, I don't know. And, and I, I can't even say this out loud because you guys are just not even going to let me finish. You're just going to drown me out with protests. But <laughs> I don't know how like Katara I am, really. <laughs> 
could write a <laughs> if only you guys could see if you could see JJ's face right now you guys <laughs> so that that just means that I'm full of it <laughs> but you know but but yeah so this is so so Katara's growth throughout the series will probably be a unique and intimate experience for me to go through <laughs> but um but yeah I liked this episode a lot on the whole it was really dark and ugly and we we don't really get an explanation as to why Jet feels this way about things. We know that, you know, his family was killed by the Fire Nation and that all the people that uh, are following him have, you know, their villages have burned and their parents have been killed. And, you know, they're, they're all a group of people who have come together because everything else that they have was taken from them. Um, but this is the first truly vengeful group of rebels that we've seen and, and people who do not do not have any, you know, we talk about this being a really gray episode, but for Jet, there is no gray area. There is only black and white and the Fire Nation is bad. And if he has to kill an entire village full of Earth Kingdom people in order to eradicate the small number of Fire Nations there, then that's what he'll do. And he doesn't see anything wrong with that because to him, the ultimate goal is the destruction of the Fire Nation. And if the means justify the ends, then so be it. Um, yeah, he can't see, like, he clearly can't see the fact that he could be making more people like him in the process. Like, he's, he is that classic manipulator who really can't empathize on that level. Like, what I'm doing to these Earth people could very easily turn all of them into, like, angry psychopaths who are, you know, bent on revenge or whatever. Well, for a minute there, I thought it was going to get really dark. Because, oh, with the girl? Yeah, because I, and I thought that it was going to reveal that he had, like, the reason that all these other people were following him is that Jet had kind of systematically taken out all of their villages. Oh, yeah, real and these dark. were the people, no, that's really where I thought it was going at one point, that it was going to be revealed that, like, he was the reason that these people who were banded together with him were isolated and left alone. And I was like, what, like, that's dark even for, like, as dark as we've gotten. And it didn't go there. It, I mean, it, that still could be true. I guess that that could still be out there. We just didn't know definitively whether or not that had happened. Um, but it seems interesting that all these people have somehow found him. You know, how did all these people come together to be under his wing and under his leadership? You know, it doesn't seem like they were all from the same village that got destroyed. It seemed like there was one from here and one from there and, they'd all kind of assembled together into this troop. So, yeah, dark stuff. <laughs> so maybe his goal is to make more people like him. I mean, yeah. I also um, wanted to point out the the blasting jelly and jelly donut joke. <laughs> that was like, cute. We, we better not mix those two up. That stuck out in my mind because I, I get the feeling that, like, when they wrote this, the first pass at it... Um, it was probably something scarier sounding than blasting jelly. You know, like, I'm sure that there was, like, a network note being like, this is Nickelodeon, you can't use C4. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> so this is BSNP, you have to adhere to broadcast standards and practices. You right. can't do so, these things. So they put in blasting jelly to make it sound friendly, and then they made a jelly donut joke right afterwards. There are a lot of jokes in this episode for how dark it is. And I think it's partially it's dark because of the way it ends. Because yeah. in other in other TV shows, I mean, it's still a children's show, so it ends happily, in quotes, but they don't stop Jet from carrying out his plan. Right. Yeah. They foil him in, a, in another way, in another unforeseen way, and it, you know, this is nice, comes back full circle, Sokka's kindness comes back and helps mm-hmm. him save all these people. But the fact that they're unable to prevent him from blowing up the dam in the first place is really kind of unprecedented, at least for me it was. I was like, oh my god, they did it. (laughs) They they blew it up. And because we don't know that Sokka got them out, we assume that everyone died. Mm -hmm. And that's like really dark. And even though he saved them, he saved their lives, but not their homes, you Mm -hmm. know, their sources of food, their shelter, everything has been taken from them. So there's no guarantee that they're going to continue to survive. Um, You know, it is. It's really the something that this show has been consistently good about is um, the stakes. Mm -hmm. You know, there really are real and tangible stakes here where terrible things are going to happen and the enemy is real you know whether it's the enemy of the episode or the overarching enemy of the series um you know real things are at stake here and so the choices that people make and the outcomes of those choices really do matter Mm -hmm. does anybody have anything else they want to say about this episode favorite quotes favorite moments anything that we didn't cover that you want to get in there Sokka actually gets a womp womp sound in this episode (laughs) (laughs) I had to make note of it I was like oh my god he actually gets a womp womp in the background (laughs) Um, I make note every time new food is added in this show lychee nuts made their way Mm, into this mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. Um, in the you know they were the bait for the traps and Oh, Katara's <laughs> little water pouch, I thought, was something they slipped in there. They didn't make a thing where, you know, she purchased this. She just now has it, and that's where she gets her water whip from. I yeah, and cool. I, I also like the advances in water bending mm-hmm. you see in Katara in this episode. Because now too. she's able to turn water into ice. Right. Which is super cool. I was like, I really loved that. Mm-hmm. Other small things I noticed. Uh, more cabbage casualties in this episode. Uh, when the water washes the village away, a big cabbage stand gets washed away as well. No way. I missed that. That's yeah. Great. <laughs> um, was it? And just like a lot of quotes from Sokka that I thought were fantastic. And also his facial expressions, like when Jet is clearly, you know, put it, pulling the wool over Katara and Aang's eyes in the background, Sokka is making the greatest facial expression. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> He's so great. And I, I think I quoted, it's like, there's so many soccer quotes I put in here. I was like, opposite a giant fluffy monster with an arrow on his head. And it's like, Sokka, the voice of reason. And then later he's like, yeah, nothing's braver than a guy in a treehouse. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had that one too. Sokka, <laughs> comma, real boy. <laughs> 
That that arrow comment was followed up by a line. Sokka's just jealous he doesn't have an arrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really this this episode as a whole I thought was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, the the next few episodes we have there are a bunch of really cool voice actors thrown in, but in this episode there was just one that was noteworthy. Um, playing Smeth- Smellerby, the mm-hmm. ambiguous but mm-hmm. happens to be a girl, like, little pig pen-looking member <laughs> of the troupe, yep. um, is played by an actress named Nika Futterman, who, uh, the lo- the most credits I could find on her, most of them were uh, Gamera from Guardians of the Galaxy, but in video games and hmm. cartoons and a few other things. I think a phone app, maybe. Cool. Yeah. All right, any last thoughts on Jet? That's all I got. All right, let's move on to The Great Divide. Yeah, episode 11, The Great Divide. (laughs) Aang guides some idiots through a dangerous canyon. (laughs) (laughs) We did warn you about this one, Kelly. Like, almost every week we were like, like, we're getting there, it's coming up. I know, at one point when we were planning this out and spacing out the episodes, uh, they were like, well, we can just skip this episode. And I was like, no, we're not skipping any episode. But we may <laughs> have, we may as well have, guys. We may as well have just skipped it, because I fell asleep during this one, too. You, you um, didn't miss much. There's I, nothing in this episode. I mean, especially compared to the sophisticated writing of Jet, there yeah. is nothing in this episode that was worth remembering except except that one moment where Aang has this hilarious expression he's like is that the custard custard (laughs) and that's like it only only moment oh and also Sokka being like I only took their side because they fed me right he was like Sokka real teenage boy Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think most of the high points of this episode were the cast that they brought in and the fact that when they were telling that stupid story about the orb, there were oh, two yeah, the animation very styles. distinct animation. Yeah, animation styles were different, um, which I always appreciate when they do that. I think the storytelling is so incredibly simplistic. In this, it, you know, simple isn't always bad, but this is simplistic. It reduces a group of people to the worst characteristics. You basically have like Asian elves. On one side, and then, like, Asian dwarves, if you're, like, talking, like, yeah. Middle-Earth races. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the canyon guide, he he looks like, what's his name from Toy Story 2? Um, Claim Jumper Pete, or whatever it was. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And Because he, he also has that kind of country twang going on, you know. Yeah. All I can think about was... The Great Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disneyland. Like, this here is a wildest ride in the wilderness. Right, and, it's yeah. a bunch of moonshiners like yeah. twanging away. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of like you know like the prospectors and the mm-hmm. gold rush and you know yeah. that whole thing. Um, yeah, this was not great at all. I fell asleep. I very reluctantly went back and kind of caught up on the parts that I slept through. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say. It was kind of funny to me when both the, the, for I can't remember the names of the two groups. The of Zhang people. and the Ganjins. 
Okay, them. The dude, <laughs> the dude's beard got cut off, and then the woman's little pigtail got lopped off, and that kind of made me chuckle a little bit. Uh, and like JJ pointed out, Aang's you know craving of the custard was pretty funny, and Sokka and all that stuff. I, I mean, blah. They so, they like tame these giant cockroaches by putting feed bags over them. I don't know, guys. It was just, also it was, with those with those canyon crawlers. JJ, can you? think of any other insect-based animal from this world? Because I've been struggling. Like, I feel like this is the one instance we get and we never see them again. Yeah, I don't... Well, we certainly don't see the canyon crawlers again. I can't think. There I, there might be in season two or three that I mm-hmm. don't remember. But not like this. You know, yeah. not, not, not quite so prominent in this in this regard. Yeah, but I can't. I can't think of any. Well, um, I've got some fun little voice stuff. Um, mm. I don't know. I looked up the leader of the dwarves, and she didn't have anything <laughs> that I really recognized. But the leader of the elves, so to speak, uh, <laughs> Rene Abourgenois, who is famous oh, for playing Odo on yeah, he's on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine for I don't know how many seasons that show ran. Um, and he's done loads of voice acting. He's, he's been an also Archer. David Xanatos on Gargoyles. <laughs> no, was he? No, that was uh, no, no, Riker. that was Riker. No, no, no. Yeah. who else? He was also Louis, I think, in Little Mermaid. The ship. I think you're right. Ooh, Le Poisson. Yeah, Le Poisson, Le Poisson. That that's Rene Abergena. The um the Canyon Guide, funnily enough. Who was also, I feel like, the best part of this entire episode. Like, he was just, like, losing his shit in the background. I don't want to become part of the food chain! Um, (laughs) That's an actor named Leonard Stone, and you might know him best as playing Violet Beauregard's dad in the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, right? Wow. Gene Gene Wilder edition, that one. That's a deep cut. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I don't have anything further to say about this episode. <laughs> Literally, my notes on this episode are just, oh, this episode. Yeah. That's pretty have, much um, it. I have lychee nuts again, because they showed up again, mm-hmm. um, and custard tart, because I am actually Yeah, and, and the custard tart. For some reason. Um, I have Katara is water whipping like whoa, because she was just kicking ass all over the place in that canyon. <laughs> And I have um, True. The, the moral, which I wrote down as, and then nothing of consequence happened. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, Ang pretty much sums it up at the very end. He's like, you could call it, or you could call it lying. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, learned nothing, so moving on. <laughs> yeah, let's just let that be that then. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even work up I can't even work up a lot of anger about it. It's not even like it's just meh. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's just there. <laughs> mhm. We got to get past this to get to the good stuff. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's move on to episode 12, The Storm. On to the good stuff. Mhm. A storm arrives and sets everyone on edge as both Aang and Zuko confront the choices that led them to where they are now. And this is where I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have arrived. I'm there. I am hooked. I'm in. 
I am no longer doing this necessarily against my will. <laughs> we previous weeks when we record, we've been holding a gun to our head. Uh, yeah, I exactly. know. Did you guys have a bet in place or anything? Were there any kind of like? No, not, I didn't take any. No, not oh. formally. No. I, Shame I was, on you guys. I know. I was considering, you know, kind of later. I was like, I wonder what point Kelly would get invested. I thought it was going to be the Winter Solstice Avatar Roku because you do get a bit of backstory there. Mm-hmm. I really liked that one. I, I did. That was definitely a cut above. But at, I, it took until now for me to get emotionally invested. And it took baby Zuko for me to get emotionally I know. invested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. So, I know. I have tons of notes on this one. This is probably the most notes that I have taken on any episode so far. Um, and most of them are glowing. Um So, this episode is mostly flashbacks. Um, We get kind of Aang's backstory about how he discovered he was the Avatar and what led to his disappearance. And then we get Zuko. It's not a flashback that Zuko himself has, but Uncle Iroh is telling the story of what happened to Zuko that led him to get his scar and to be exiled. And that's really the the bulk of the episode is almost entirely backstory. The actual plot is kind of like there's a storm and Sokka goes out in the storm to because he needs to get a job because they're out of money. And so he signs on to help this local fisherman and they get out in the storm and they're lost at sea kind of. And meanwhile, Zuko's Fire Navy ship is out in the storm and, you know, they're debating whether or not to turn back and, you know, whatever. But that that's not really plot. That's just kind of like the framework that the episode is hung on. And it, it's this event of the storm that is kind of triggering all of these feelings and backstories and stuff. Um, and I love backstory (laughs) a lot. You don't say. I do. My favorite Harry Potter is book six. (laughs) Which is oh. just like, oh, I know, JJ disagrees with me hard. And I and I, <laughs> I can't defend it. I can't defend it. And this is not the Harry Potter podcast, so I won't get into it. But basically, that entire book is like pointless backstory while nothing furthers the plot at all. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I love it, the, it. I call it the book of backstory and Dumbledore dies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's Pretty much. all the book six. Pretty much. But I love that book so much. And I love this episode because I feel like... Um, this finally gave me something emotional to hold on to. I mean, I've been getting to know these characters and I really like them and enjoy them. Um, but there was, there was nothing that made me love them yet until this episode. And so let's talk about Aang first. So Aang, his whole flashbacks are when he is in the air temple and the monks tell him that he is the next avatar. They kind of lay out these toys that he'd selected as a child that were all artifacts belonging to past avatars, and he connected with them because they were from his past lives. They tell him that he's the avatar, I guess, younger than they normally would. They say that normally they would wait until he was 16 years old. But given the events that are going to happen they're telling him now so that he can prepare and he begins his training. Um, and of course, you know, there's monk 
Gyatsu, who we've seen in previous flashbacks, who was his mentor and who is kind to him and who believes that um, letting Aang still have a childhood, even though he is the Avatar, is really important, and that's kind of what he fights for. And then there's another monk whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, I just call him Cranky Air Nomad. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, yeah. Cranky <laughs> Air Nomad guy is very, like, no nonsense, and you need to be training every minute, and I won't stand for this fiddle-faddle. You know, he just sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> he just sucks, basically. And slowly you kind of see how this knowledge that he is the Avatar and his destiny weighs on Aang, and it separates him from the other children at the Air Temple. You know, they kind of won't let him play with them anymore because it's an unfair advantage because he's so powerful and you slowly you kind of see how this mantle of responsibility weighs on him and burdens him and makes his life harder and separates him from the people around him and ultimately they you know cranky monk is like you know you can't train with Gyatsu anymore, he's coddling you, this isn't going to work. And they planned to sort of take Aang away. And Aang decides to run away instead. Because that's not, he, he doesn't want this, he didn't ask for it, this is all being thrust upon him and it's too much and so he decides to leave. And he decides to leave without knowing that Gyatsu is going to fight for him you know, and says, I won't let them take you from me. I'm on your side. But Aang leaves without knowing that. And the night that he leaves is the night of that fateful storm that overtakes him and Appa. And then he encapsulates himself in the iceberg and stays there for the next hundred years. And it's sad. Yeah. It's really sad. It's very Especially tragic. If you think about, like, that's the last time he sees Gyatso until he sees his bones. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's sad. <laughs> oh, and IMDb has that monk listed as Dower Monk. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I know we're not quite at voice actors yet, but I definitely recognized him as the guy who voices Chief Fu from Mulan. Yes. Yep, that's him. <laughs> I was like, I know that voice. I know that sanctimonious bureaucratic voice. <laughs> yeah, he shows up in a lot of stuff. That's a, that's a guy with a huge list of credits. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's it's really hard. And sort of what triggers Aang's backstory is that um, this fisherman that Sokka temporarily goes to work for is finds out that Aang is the Avatar and then just starts berating him. You know, like, you disappeared for a hundred years and this is all your fault and you're supposed to help us and you just vanished and ran away and didn't care. You know, and Katara sticks up for him and says, Aang would never do that. He's the bravest person I know. You're all wrong about him. And Aang runs away because he, I mean, of course, to him, what the fisherman is saying is the, the naked truth. You know, he did shirk his responsibility. He did run away. And whether it was his intention or not, in the course of the hundred years that he was frozen in ice, the world has been ravaged by war. And... You know, it, he looks at his choices and sees the result of that. 
And it's, you know, and there's no telling. Qatar even says to him, you know, if you had stayed, maybe you probably would have been killed with the rest of the air temple. You know, there's no way to know what would have happened if you'd stayed. But it's just, it's really, like, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, and he's, and, you know, he's a child. That's the whole thing is he's a child and it's so much responsibility to put on a child. Yeah, I he's found, only 12, so... Yeah. And him... I mean, it, and it's so understandable to see him. And it, it's it, pretty economical storytelling, because in his flashbacks, you just see him having a great time with the air scooter, which I don't know if they mentioned in the show explicitly, but the reason Aang has his arrows tattoos is because he's already a master. So this is my question. I have a whole section of notes about these <laughs> tattoos. They don't explain that as explicitly in the show, I don't think. But he they has them, and then yet. all they, of the... They will. No. They will. Yeah. Because I noticed that the other children did not, and yet all of the all of the elders did. And so I was like, it's not an avatar, because at first I thought it was an avatar thing. Like, oh, the avatar will always have these markings. Uh, but then that clearly wasn't it, and I couldn't figure out what it was. So it's it's a tattoo that you get when you achieve a certain level of mastery. Yeah. 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 Okay. Basically, when you become a full-blown Jedi, <laughs> yeah, you, more or you less. get arrows. And and Aang, I don't know if, again, they mentioned this, but Aang is the youngest master. And okay. the reason he got his tattoos is because he invented an airbending move, and that airbending move is the air scooter. Nice. That scene when the kids wouldn't play with him anymore because it's the Avatar. Oh, oh my God. Just broke my heart. I was like, right. oh, God. So sad. I can't be having all these feelings. I know. I know, you guys. Feelings about these characters. So, so the tattoos was one of the questions that I had. So I'm glad to have the answer to that. The other kind of world building sort of question that I have from this section is, you know, they say we're telling you early that you're the Avatar. Normally, we wouldn't tell you until you were older, but we're telling you now because circumstances are dire. But if they wouldn't normally tell him until he was older, and the Avatar is the same soul reincarnated, that means that there's usually like a brief period of time in which the Avatar is not publicly known. Yeah, yeah. there has to be, there's some kind of a search that goes on. That's what the toys are for. Okay. And so, yeah, so there's always like a little period of time where... They're searching for the Avatar. Okay. I'm not positive, but I think it's based off of the Dalai Lama. It is. The Dalai yeah. Lama is reincarnated um, after the death of his previous incarnation. And one of the, the quote, tests they have is the the child. They, they, you know, they search for eligible children, obviously. Um, and the child would pick out belongings <laughs> that belong to the previous Dalai Lama. And that's how they know. Um, so it's similar in that regard, but yeah, there is a period of time where the avatar is not known. You see a little bit of this in Korra in the very beginning, not that this is a huge spoiler, but clearly the next, the cycle moves on. So they know what nation they would be looking for the avatar in because it goes in a specific order. Um, so they know what nation the avatar would show up in and then they just kind of travel around, I think. And so you see this group of people looking for the next avatar. So... That's, you know, there is obviously a period of time where they would be, nobody, where they wouldn't know. Okay. 
Kel, did you have another any other notes you want to throw at us? I mean, I have tons about Zuko. <laughs> and about other characters oh, yeah, as well. But I mean, but if there's something specific about Aang's backstory that you want to talk about, I think I've pretty much said everything about that section of the story. Um, nothing in particular. Although I did notice hilariously that one of the air nomads has a unibrow. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> I just like put notes of unibrow air nomad question mark. <laughs> Oh, oh, I did have this other thing. Um, when they're, when they tell Aang he can't play, and then they're like, who gets Jinju? And it's that, like, derpy-looking <laughs> pig pen kid off to the side. <laughs> just, yeah. just for shits and giggles, I looked up what Jinju means, and translated into Mandarin, it means kumquat. <laughs> <laughs> also, it, funnily enough, and it has no relationship in Korean, it could also mean jewel. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah okay so the second half of this story is about Zuko and I love him <laughs> I love him I love him I love him he and Sokka are absolutely my favorite characters in this show um, I don't know if I could choose between them. If you made me choose, I don't know if I could. Um, but, so, so what we know of Zuko so far is that he's exiled, he's, he's the prince, he's exiled, and he has this horrific scar on the left side of his face. And that's really all we know about his backstory. And in this episode, we get both how he gets the scar and how he was exiled, why he's exiled. And you see little baby Zuko from like two years. I mean, he's not actually a baby. He's just, a, you know, a preteen or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, and so he's got like this full head of hair. So right now when we see him, he's got the ponytail, but it's all shaved back and like really severe looking. But baby Zuko has the full head of hair pulled back with like the one little wispy piece. In front. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And his face is unscarred, you know, he's, he's all, um, just baby faced and, uh, adorable. And he wants to be part of these councils on war. You know, he wants to be involved. He wants to know what's happening. He's very, um, eager, you know, to kind of show support for his father and to be a part of things and take on the responsibility of being the prince. You know, he kind of says, I'm going to have to you know, be in charge of this one day and I should know what's happening. And where we have Aang kind of running away from his responsibility, we have Zuko rushing forward to meet his responsibility. I had never put it, thought of it that way. That is an excellent yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think um, very intentionally Zuko and Aang are set up as mirrors for each other. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I needed some whiskey. <laughs> it's gonna get a little emotional. Um, I've been, so I've been drinking while you've been talking. So he wants to, you know, rush forward, be part of these councils on war, and Iroh is really reluctant and kind of cautions him. You know, like, hey, you don't. This is kind of a little bit bigger than you are. But when Zuko really insists, Iroh says, "Okay, but essentially, like, mind your manners. These are." 
people to be respected, don't open your mouth. <laughs> Sit there and listen and, you know, stay out of trouble. Uh, which, of course, Zuko is not going to do. And it mirrors his dilemma in the present. So in the present, the storm is coming and Zuko is relentlessly pursuing the Avatar and the crew feels that he's putting them at risk by pushing through this storm and says, you know, you don't care about the lives of your crew. You don't care about us. You only care about yourself. You're selfish. And when we see in the flashback, he's sitting in on this council and a general is advising tactics that would essentially put the lives of thousands of Fire Nation soldiers at risk unnecessarily, Zuko believes. And so he speaks up and says, you know, these are our people. You can't do that to them. And speaking out against the general is disrespectful and Zuko needs to be punished for that display. And he rises to the challenge and he says, you know, okay, I'm willing to fight. And then he realizes that he's not going to be fighting the general. He's going to be fighting his father, whose face we never see. He's always drawn in shadow. And Zuko refuses to fight his father. And so, you know, he says, I will not fight you. You're my father. I honor you. Um, you know, please don't make me do this. And it's super emotional and horrible. And his father, uh, you know, attacks him, which I believe leads to the scarring on his face and then exiles him because refusing to fight is not honorable. It's weakness. And, you know, there can be no weakness. And so you, Zuko is exiled. And it's, it's like, I can't talk about it. It's so upsetting. <laughs> it's, I'm like, I'm actually tearing up right now. I'm really upset. Um, it was so heartbreaking. And I mean, of course you have to put this all back in context that like, the Fire Nation is horrible. The tactics that they're talking about in these war councils or whatever are about murdering and committing mass genocide on other nations. Everything about it is despicable. And I'm not saying that it's good or bad or whatever. And even Zuko's intentions are not like, oh, hey, we shouldn't wage war on other people. It's like, hey, we shouldn't wage war in this particular way because... <laughs> our people are also going to get hurt. So I don't want to make it sound like Zuko is some huge noble hero. Within the context of things, I mean, it's still all terrible. And yet, the interpersonal relationships we see between Zuko and his father, and when you see Zuko back before he was so rejected you see how eager he is to please and how much he wants to do quote unquote, you know, the right thing. He cares about his people that he is one day going to lead. I mean, right now they're leading them to do terrible things, but again, you know, like in as much as it can be in that despicable situation, he is, you know, himself also a child and, it, I just, it's awful. I can't. 
I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just want to throw in that I I thought that uh, Dante Basco, who does the voice of Zuko, and also he was Rufio and a bunch of other things. Um, I thought he did such a great job as young Zuko because normally, yeah, he sounded young. Yeah, yeah. Like normally, when actors try to do that, they just sound obnoxious or <laughs> like they've been their voice has been filtered or whatever. But he didn't. He just sounded genuinely younger. I mean, his voice sounds young to begin with, though. It's true. <laughs> He's like forty at least. I, I think. know, and his voice is like perpetually that of a teenager. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought he did a good job. The thing about Zuko. I mean, you always got that sense from the beginning that there was far more to Zuko mm-hmm. than you see initially as just this kid who's driven to find the Avatar for reasons of honor or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you kind of, you know, you're like, meh, meh. And then you see why, and it's so <laughs> devastating. And it's, it's you know, and, and what I think it's what Iroh says at the very end that gets me. He's like, and I, and I had to turn away, I couldn't watch. Um, because basically he could not countenance his own brother basically abusing his own son. And I was just like, oh, oh my God. It's so oh awful. Oh, my God. It is. Like, I can't. Like, I'm really, like, I, I can't. It, it's it's oh. extremely definitely done. <laughs> no, it, it <laughs> I'll mean, just drink more whiskey. And, that, uh-huh. That'll definitely fix it. Uh-huh. That, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a lot about Zuko that is... Um, he's definitely kind of the fandom, what the fandom calls a whoopee. <laughs> you know, he's a told whoopee? a whoopee. You've never heard that term? No. What's that? It's it's the character. It's usually a boy. It's usually a male character who may not necessarily be a good character, but like you can't resist softening them somehow or absolving them of their faults or problems because they're so tragic. <laughs> So, like, a classic example of the Whoopi, I mean, Zuko being one of them, but it's actually, like, Loki from the Avengers movies is, like, your classic example of a Whoopi. Because he's the villain, but yet he's been so broken and, and, you know, that's that's exactly what Zuko is. He's he's the Whoopi, for sure. I learned the word Whoopi today. (laughs) Teaching things in this podcast. There you go. So educational. Um, I know, I know. Yeah, and um, I don't normally fall prey to that. I don't either, but for some reason, Zuko really gets me. Like, I, he, like, something about Zuko really got to me. I feel also justified, of course, because I felt from minute one that there was more to him. And I don't think that that's because I'm kind of special, you know, mind reader or anything. I think it's clearly there in the text that he's not supposed to be our ultimate villain, which also doesn't mean that he's going to suddenly, well, I guess we'll do that next episode, but, um, (laughs) you know, I, I love him. I just, this was so heartbreaking and I can no longer talk about it in detail because I really will start to cry and lose it. So I'm going to move on a little bit to some (laughs) other things in this episode. Okay. Um, so one of the other notes that I have here is, is Sokka the damsel in distress character? Because he is. He is. He, he really is. is. Yeah, he is. And it's kind of great. You know, he, if you look at like this pattern that we've had that will continue in future episodes, you know, in this one, he kind of gets lost at sea um, in the midst of this sor- storm and they have to go off and save him. And previously he was captured by the forest spirit and he's, he is kind of the damsel in distress in this show and it's kind of great. <laughs> yep. He, he's definitely the, 
poor. It's it's always me. Every time I look at him, like it's like womp womp. <laughs> poor Sokka. <laughs> and it's like whole thing with like him and the fisherman who I've called Long John Silver because that's who he looks like. Um, they're like lash themselves to the boat in the sea, and Sokka's like, "I'm too young to die." And he's like, "I'm not, but I'm I still not. don't wanna." Yeah. <laughs> that part is great. The Long John Silver had another one of my favorite quotes in the episode, which is, "Fish ain't meat." Yeah, exactly. Right at the I end. have that one too. <laughs> Fish ain't meat. <laughs> um, I also said. Um, Iroh is my Patronus because his solution to every problem is food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, we could just settle this with a nice bowl of noodles. <laughs> yep, at the beginning, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had that too. Cause I, and I started thinking, like, between... I, I noticed I was starting to look for the moral at the end of episodes, and then this thing with, like, recording food. I think this all dates back to the fact that I just watched... I grew up watching 80s cartoons, which a lot of the Always better ones moral, had yeah. both of those elements of, like... There's a moral at the end, and there's some kind of food being served that I would, like, pretend <laughs> to copy as a kid. Um, if you guys are... Oh, I did, uh, in terms of story, I just wanted to point out the um, Iroh getting hit by lightning and surviving just fine. You know, he looks a little frazzled, but, like, little things like that I thought are great indicators that, like, maybe Iroh is a lot more powerful than... We like he seems like just the jolly you know uncle character who's a ball buster and you know hustles people at pie show, but maybe there's just <laughs> a lot of parts we're not seeing yet, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and then I just remembered this part too. So Iroh tells the crew the story of how you know Zuko came to be the way that he is and why he's exiled and everything else. Um, and then once he's done we see Zuko in front of his fire altar or his meditation space you know where we've seen him go previously to be alone and he's there and he himself has these memories of being with his father in better times you know like there's him standing by his father and his father has like his hand on his shoulder and like he he just cycles through all these memories of before and it I mean oh it like ripped my heart out and threw it on the floor and I just oh it was it was so terrible and this is a children's show like this is you know JJ called it abuse what the what the fire lord did to his son and I mean it is like this yeah. was mm-hmm. it's a very explicitly abuse yeah it left literal scars and it's so you know, it, uh, and, and you know what else <laughs> I realized? I laughing at your pain. <laughs> you just made a funny noise. No, no. Been drinking. <laughs> but the other thing that I realized in the course of this episode is that I don't know where Zuko's story will go. You know, we very clearly know where Aang and Katara's stories are going to go. We don't necessarily know how we're going to get there, but we know that we know that Aang is going to master the elements, and most likely he's going to defeat the Fire Nation. We know that Katara is going to learn how to become a true waterbender. You know, these characters have a specific path, and the story is about following them on that journey as they get to where they need to go. For Zuko, I really don't know 
where his story is going to go because none of the options that I can see at this point seem emotionally satisfying or true or real. You know, kind of we have the options of um, Aang, or not Aang, Zuko, you know, captures the Avatar and brings him back to his dad, you know, does the thing that he has set out to do. And yet, even if Zuko were to do that, I don't believe that it would bring him the peace and the resolution that he seeks. I don't believe that if he captured the Avatar and brought him back to his father, that his father would welcome him with open arms and everything would be fine. You know, that is never going to happen no matter what. And then, nor do I believe that Zuko is going to do a complete 180 and become like a total good guy. Um, you know, I, I don't know what Zuko is going to do. <laughs> I don't know what is ahead for him. It seems like all the possible options are dead ends at this moment. So I think that's really interesting. He's definitely a dark horse in the... Because you know from the start he's not the the the, the final boss, quote-unquote, right. you know, if you go like video games. Because um, that's his father, um, who is Fire Lord Luke Skywalker. Just yep. to point that out there. <laughs> he's voiced by Mark Hamill, so... It's true. Um... So you know that's probably the final boss. And then, of course, there's other more villainous characters in this series. We've got Commander, now Admiral Zhao. Um, mm-hmm. So clearly he's on the wrong side of the moral divide, but he's not a bad person. And to me, so much of this show was my enjoyment in seeing Zuko make good decisions, you know? Like, and you've seen it happen before. Like, he had the choice between his uncle getting captured and rescuing his uncle or going mm-hmm. after the Avatar. He chooses his uncle. And in this one, you see him go straight into the storm, and he still has a chance to chase after Aang. And he was, Appa literally goes flying past his face. And he, no, he chooses to do the right thing and prioritize the safety of his crew. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoyment of the character of Zuko is seeing him literally grow as a human being. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I also think this episode deepened my love for Iroh, although how can it get any deeper? Iroh, like, honestly, every- if we talk about favorite characters, Iroh is really number one. Iroh is yeah. absolutely my favorite character. I mean, every episode I'm like, well, he can't possibly get any better. And then, of course, <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, not only is he funny and he's kind of, so we've had him kind of be this thread of comic relief and he's the ultimate troll for Zuko. We've also seen him be really powerful and there's a lot of hints that he was this strong commander um, and strong fighter back in the day and we still see glimpses of that now. And yet we also see, I think, through this episode... We've always known, it's always been explicitly clear that Iroh loves Zuko and is, yeah. you know, views him as a son almost. And in this episode, I feel like I see that even more in the way that he tells Zuko's story. And while I don't know the specifics of how it was that Iroh came to join Zuko in exile, I would not be surprised to learn that he chose it for himself, that he chose to go with Zuko, to look after him, to care for him, to to 
to be there for him, to give him the affection that he so desperately craves. Um, it just, I mean, I just, I'm going to cry again. I just can't do it. <laughs> All my notes here. Are, Baby Zuko, oh my God, I can't, I cannot, my heart, my heart is <laughs> what my notes say there. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think that pretty much is everything I have about this episode. This was the one. I mean, this is it. I'm in now. Yeah. Um, at the end of the episode, when Aang saves uh, the people on the boat, he, you know, everybody gets knocked into the water. He does that same move, basically, that got him and Appa frozen in a bubble. Like he, his, you know, tattoos light up, his eyes. He punches his fists together, and there's a bubble of air around them. Except this time, he saves them. <laughs> yes. Like he actually gets out of the water with everybody, and no one's frozen for a hundred years. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean... Other than that... Okay. As in, my other comments are really small. I mean, as a whole, I love this episode as well. Because of the deep glimpses you get into both Aang and Zuko. Who, of the... I guess you would say of the main cast, are kind of the biggest ciphers. Because, obviously, you kind of get this dark, brooding, mysterious prince with, you know, some tragic past. And then you have this main character who is really kind of cagey about what his past is. So this is really the episode that you see where they are coming from, from an emotional place. And that's something that the show is really good at, by the way, of hitting you in the feels. If you want to be gut punched in the feels, this show does it really, really well. <laughs> and on the regular. And on the regular, kind of like, for sure. Um, every season has several moments. Where you're just like, <laughs> God, that would hurt. It yeah. hurts so good. Um, small things that I thought were kind of funny. Um, you know, they talk in the very beginning about how it's a beautiful day. And then some people are saying a storm's coming and you see a shot of a whole bunch of birds flying. I think those are storm petrels and mythologically storm petrels are said to cause storms, but in fact, they actually follow storms. They don't actually cause them, but they're kind of like known in mythology. So that I thought was kind of a very, very small touch that I thought was kind of cool that probably no one else but me would have picked up on that. And I only learned that from reading Lloyd Alexander. So (laughs) when I was like 11, um, other things I thought were kind of funny, um, in the beginning, you have Sokka, and he's like, I had a dream and, he, and where food eats people. <laughs> and then what I love, too, is that the lighting turns green, and I'm like, is this a reference to Soylent Green? <laughs> so, I wouldn't put it past I really him. wouldn't put it Those past him either. seems like fans of everything. Yeah, I mean, they're very smart, the people who did the show. Um, yeah, not most of my notes are kind of small things that I enjoyed, so... You got anything, Mike? Um, just some the voice stuff um, in this episode. Uh, the Dower Monk is played by an actor named James Hong, who shows up in everything. Um, he was Jack Black's father in Kung Fu Panda. His adopted, yeah, the duck you know, or the goose. Yeah, is it whatever, whatever, he is. whatever he is? Stork, some kind of yeah. bird. <laughs> Makes um, dumplings. <laughs> he, he was in Mulan. He was in. He's done episodes of Archer. He's. He's one of these people that gets around. He was also, I, I don't know if you guys saw that really not good movie with Ryan Reynolds and, holy hell, what's his name? Jeff Bridges, where they uh, are IPD, which is oh, I've the heard of it. rest in peace police department or something, where 
the whole thing is after you die, you get drafted into this, like, otherworldly Ghostbusters, and anyone who sees you on the street sees someone else entirely, and James Hong was... <laughs> who Ryan um, Reynolds was? Was Ryan Reynolds's like, other half. Like, when people saw him on the street, that's that's who they saw. Oh, wait, or was it Jeff Bridges? Whatever. It was a terrible movie, and James <laughs> Hong was in it. <laughs> and uh, like J.J. said, sorry, that was not informative. Like J.J. said, Mark Hamill is the Fire Lord. I think he only got one line in this, but it was enough for, like, fans of his to be like, oh, there's that yep, voice. Yep, I recognize like, that voice. It's, it's just a few off from the Joker when he does the Joker, or... Um, he does a bunch of voices on Metalocalypse. I don't know yep, if you guys watch I watch that Metalocalypse. Show, but it's, it's terrific. And he does like three or four different people on there, all of whom sound vaguely like uh, Fire Lord uh, Ozai. And it's so funny because he does vil- really good villains, and yeah. you contrast that to his most well known movie performance. <laughs> right, like the good guy. <laughs> like the ultimate good guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's I always say it's oh it's Fire Lord Luke Skywalker. <laughs> That's what I call him. Alright, is that all we've got on the storm? That's all I've got. I think so. Let's move on to the blue spirit. Okay, so episode thirteen is the blue spirit. When Sokka and Katara fall sick, Aang sets out to search for Benison and is taken captive by Commander, now Admiral, Zhao. With his friends too weak to save him, Aang fears he's doomed. But a masked man comes to his rescue, and Aang is left wondering whether the blue spirit is friend or foe. So, this was also a really great episode. Yeah. This yeah, is, this this is, is a really great one. This is, I think, my favorite of season one. Um, something I actually found out like just minutes before we started. Uh, the Yu-Yan archers, the super sniper guys with the painted-on you know, Robin masks almost... Um, those aren't painted on. Those are tattoos as well. Hmm. And they're, they're a mark of, like, it's basically to the archers what the arrows are to the airbenders. It's like a mark of... Mastery. You had to trip. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You, you need to be able to pin a fly to a tree without killing it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They were freaky. Um, my notes for this episode, I'm just gonna read them. They say... Sure. Nice to see Zhao get put in his place, although it was super short-lived. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted all of 30 seconds, maybe. Not even. Yeah, it I was, was like, like five. Yeah, I was like really into it, and then it was immediately, you know, reversed. Because he's kind of there, and he's like, I want to use these archers for finding the Avatar, using them on security as a waste. And the other guy is like they're my archers to do with what I please and then a letter arrives and promotes Zhang and he's like my request is now an order um, so that didn't last very long unfortunately <laughs> um, and then you know so Sokka gets sick because he was caught out in this storm he starts to fall ill he's kind of hallucinating you know he's basically useless um, That's like Sokka's storyline in general. He's I basically know. useless. <laughs> He's the damsel in distress. He is. <laughs> um, you know, as Aang and Katara are trying to figure out what to do and how to help him, Katara starts coughing and they realize it's only a matter of time before she succumbs to the same illness. So Aang is like, I'm going to go out and look for medicine for you guys. 
there's a line <laughs> there's a line that I quoted or not even necessarily quoted but just a thing that Aang says that I wrote in my notes because it just seemed so ridiculous to me he was like well I, I couldn't find any ginger root but I found a map and I'm like <laughs> what <laughs> what uh, that makes no sense at all, but okay. He did basically the exact same thing that Momo did, and Momo has a language barrier. <laughs> <laughs> and so the map takes him to this, um, what's the word, like apothecary woman? Yeah, yeah. like an herbalist. You know, yeah. sort of a thing where she... I like yeah. witch doctor. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, who's crazy, and, you know... Is, Admittedly. Yeah. Pretty much. And we kind of kill some time there, and it really just kind of is killing time. I feel like this whole section of the beginning is just kind of treading water until we get to, like, the main action of the plot. But she tells Aang to find some frozen frogs and have his friends suck on them while they're still frozen. And so (laughs) he goes off to collect some frozen frogs, and when he does, the aforementioned archers uh, attack him. And he flees. And this was all very cool and very tense. I did have this feeling in the back of my head that Aang should be really well equipped to fight off archers because their weapons utilize the air. (laughs) And I felt like he should have been able to, like, screw that up more. But he was very busy running for his life. (laughs) And finding frogs. And finding frogs. And half his body was in the water, too, so, like, he can't move quite as fast. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm going to make as many excuses as I can, Frank. <laughs> no, 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 it's all valid, it's all valid. I tend to make a lot his of excuses. Was yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure he had to sneeze. I, I tend to make a lot of excuses for Aang, too. Uh, I just have a soft spot for yeah. him. Yes, yes, which is all fine, and I like Aang, too, and he was very busy at the time, so that's fine. Uh, and he's not the Avatar yet. I mean, he is, but he's not. He hasn't mastered everything yet. He hasn't come yet, into so. his full powers. <laughs> yeah, there's room for error there. That's fine. Um, but the long and short of it is that he gets captured. And this is kind of where the episode really takes off. I feel like that whole beginning section, it's funny. And the thing with the apothecary, witch doctor, whatever, is, you know, funny and, you know, great. <laughs> Um, but it's also just kind of pointless. It's just kind of like the conceit that we need to get things rolling. Um, once he's captured by Commander Zhao, uh, things really take off. And again, really super dark because, or not Commander, Admiral Zhao, because the Admiral basically says to him, well, I'm not going to kill you because if I kill you, then you'll just reincarnate into the next avatar in the cycle. So I'm going to keep you alive Barely. I know. Real dark. Right. Really dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, we're going to torture you as much as we possibly can without actually killing you. And we're just going to kind of do that indefinitely. And, you know. The way he says that, too, it. he's like, you know, I'm sure you're really sad that I killed all your people, but you're not going to join them. And I was like, yeah. oh my god, just throw yeah. the genocide of his people in his face. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, this is like, <laughs> I think my mouth was like hanging open <laughs> during that entire scene because that is not okay at all. 
Um, Aang still got a shot off at him, though. Like, he, did. he was all chained he did. up and, like, huffed and puffed and knocked his ass across the mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then. Um, then my notes get really ridiculous <laughs> because so the the blue spirit or the masked figure uh, comes and sort of systematically takes out all the Fire Nation guards and arrives in the chamber where Aang is being kept and you know cuts him free and does all this silently and so um <laughs> uh, you know, my first note is it's Zuko. <laughs> and then my second note is, well, it has to be somebody that we know. And then I said, is it a waterbender? No, it's an airbender. No, I think it's Zuko. <laughs> nope, it's definitely not Zuko. <laughs> Who the F is it? <laughs> and I, I did, like, I cycled through all this. I was like, it can't be a totally new character. It has to be somebody that we've at least heard of. And for a little while there, I really had convinced myself that it was another airbender that had somehow miraculously survived and come to get, I mean, I don't even know where my, I was all over the place with it. When uh, the blue spirit first broke into Aang's chamber where he was being held captive and started like sword fighting it up, did you think he was about to attack him? No, I knew that he was going to rescue him. Oh, okay. Yeah. It didn't make any other sense because, you know, why... The, yeah, no, it had to be somebody to rescue him. Because you yeah, knew why, that, why would he fight the guards? Just to yeah, kill him, you, yeah. You knew yeah. that Katara and Sokka were incapacitated, and it had been demonstrated that Aang himself couldn't get out of his own predicament, so somebody had to help him. I was like, is it Jet? Did Jet have, like, a turn of heart? Does he back? Like, who is this? Is it Suki, my queen? Like, who the hell is this? Um... But I kept thinking, oh, maybe it's Zuko, maybe it's Zuko. I think I got confused because there was one um, scene where the blue spirit is, like, off screen. It's, like, a shot looking down a hallway. And you can just kind of see, um, you know, the chaos from afar. And it looked to me like someone was airbending, which, in hindsight, must have been wrong. I must have just not properly understood what was visually happening. But I was convinced it was Zuko, and then I saw something that looked to me like airbending, and it just, like, threw me off on this tangent where I was like, who is this person? I think I know what you're talking about. Like, you saw, like, a guard go down the hall and turn right, which is apparently where the blue spirit was waiting for him, and then you just see, like, a burst of what was fire. Yeah. But, like, you couldn't couldn't tell the source. You didn't know if it was the blue spirit or if it was the guard. You just heard a body drop, and then the blue spirit showed up. Yeah, so that was all crazy, and then they escape, and they are, you know, they help one another fight. You know, Aang is about to get through the gates, and he comes back to help the Blue Spirit, who's surrounded, and together, you know, they fend off all these guards, and then they're kind of cornered, and the Blue Spirit takes Aang hostage, basically, and Xiao allows them to leave and the blue spirit gets knocked out as they're going and I couldn't really tell and all this was happening so fast and I actually only got to watch this episode one time through so I didn't get to go back for this one and um, pick up on some of the more subtle details which is why I'm I think I'm all over the place on this one um 
but it looked to me like, I mean, the arrow struck him. Was he, is he injured or was he just passed out? Like, I wasn't sure what exactly happened there. He was taken down for sure. And I know he lived, but I wasn't sure about the extent of his injuries as a result of that. I think... It's just because it was one of the the archers, like, super, you know, they're mm-hmm. super accurate. They can pin a fly without killing it. I think, because Zhao tells them to just take, to not, I think he says to knock out the blue spirit so he can bring them both to the Fire Lord. So I just assumed the arrow hit the mask in such a way that, like, just knocked brained him, him, like, really hard. Okay. Just knocked him out. That's yeah, fine. like, when, when you see, like, a football player, like, get knocked out on the field... They're, they're all armored up. The helmet's still there, but the collision did something. Right. Yeah, I can accept that. I just wasn't sure. It went so fast. I just wasn't sure, like, what happened. I didn't know if he would be injured in future ones or had an arrow sticking out of him somewhere. <laughs> he has brain damage for the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's... Yeah, I don't know. So Aang doesn't leave the blue spirit there. He takes him with him uh, and unmasks him, and it is, of course, Zuko. And when Zuko regains consciousness, Aang tells him about um, a friend that he had had from the Fire Nation and, you know, sort of says, I wonder if things had been different if we had met each other, you know, would we be friends? And it, it kind of hangs there in the air and then Zuko attacks him in answer to the question which is heartbreaking all over again. <laughs> and, um, and goes back. He has the frozen frogs. He revives, you know, his friends. And I think Sokka, I think it's Sokka is still kind of out of it and loopy and kind of says, yeah, you know, did you make Sokka. any friends on your adventure? Did you make any friends on your adventure? And Ang says, no, I don't think I made a friend. And I wish they cut it there. <laughs> they have, like, they show Aang, like, rolling over and kind of turning away. And then they see Zuko in his bed rolling over and kind of turning away. And I just wish they'd ended, I wish they'd let that line hang there. Like, no, I didn't make a friend. And they they end it finally on kind of the comedic note of Katara and Sokka, like, slurping on the frogs and then being grossed out. And it's very silly, and I understand why they did it, because in the end of the day, no matter how sophisticated it is, it is a children's show. Um, (laughs) Well, it's like the end of the storm, where they're all standing, watching, you know, the clear... The Mm -hmm. the skies is clear, and then Appa shakes all the water off, and they're like, ah, Appa. (laughs) You know, we gotta lighten it a little bit, you know, because this is some pretty dark stuff, but I I wish that they just let that hang there, because that just would have been so devastating. Um, I loved this episode. I thought it was just great, and I, I love that we can surmise what Zuko's motivations are, I mean, ultimately, he doesn't want Zhao to have the Avatar. He wants to capture the Avatar himself. And so he decides to free the Avatar so that he then has a chance to capture him himself. Um, But that's just the surface motivation for it. And I feel like the show is nuanced enough and the characters are well-drawn enough that there really is that moment when Aang kind of asks that question that maybe Zuko could answer differently. And he doesn't, but 
maybe he could. There's that pause there. And in fact, Zuko barely has any lines in this episode at all, I think. He mm-hmm. barely talks. Um, but there's so... We already know... It's funny because he's he was such a mystery for so long, and then we get this glimpse into him in the storm, and then we get this episode, and even just that much, we already know so much about Zuko. And we can kind mm-hmm. of start seeing or maybe anticipating what he's going to do or say. Like, of course he's not going to say, yeah, we're totally friends, eh? We're going to be cool, yeah. you and me. But there's still a part of you that's like, I, I wish it would be different. Like, I wish mm-hmm. yeah. it would turn out different. Um, and that, like, you know, because, you know, Aang does ask, like, do you think we could have been friends? And there's just that pause, that mm-hmm. beat before Zuko predictably, la- predictably lashes out with fire. But in that pause, there's, like, so much there. Possibility there. Yeah, there's you know? so much in there. That- and this, this setup that Aang gives of, like, this is his friend. I think that his friend's name was Kulon, I think, uh, I think from the Kuzan Fire Nation or something. years ago. Kuzan, yeah, that's it. Um, you know, and he's like, oh, we used to get up to so much trouble together, you know. It gives you, in that moment, you're like, you guys could get up to so much trouble together. You're you just proved it. I mean, look at you just, busting right? out of this Do fortress. It. Yeah, Do can it. we just take a minute and talk about that end action scene and how amazing it's it is? so good. Oh, my God. It's really like, great. Aang, like, breaking the spear and using that just to, like, whip up the wind and then, like, doing the helicopter move, carrying them both, and the bendy ladders with the... The whole thing. The was, ladders kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I, yeah, me too. Definitely the first time I, I saw it. I was like, oh, Yeah, I wrote God. that down. I was like, these are... I think they're made of bamboo. Because obviously bamboo yeah. is very flexible and very strong and doesn't break. But I love that. That they literally just ran into the wall with them. And it right. bent them to the point where they could just climb up the wall with them. And I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, really... That's kind of the best thing about this show is that it... it does really imaginative things with the world, like those bamboo ladders, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole busting out sequence where the, the, what I loved about this and what's so heartbreaking about Zuko's answer at the end is you can see exactly how well they work together as a team. Yeah. You, you yeah. can see how well they fight together, how they help each other, how they improvise off of each other. And I think that's why the end of that episode, or that's why Zuko's answer is like, oh, but yeah. you could uh, be so good together. <laughs> why? I'd also like to point out that, that that attack, that burst of fire he shoots at Aang, is I think the only fire bending he does in the entire episode. Yeah. So like, yeah. all, of, all of his fighting skills are serious as hell, and he doesn't even need to create fire to do them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is awesome. Which I also love. And like, makes... That, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, it makes sense, too, because obviously he's coming there in disguise, and if he were to... I mean, Zhao probably suspects him, but, like, right. if he were to firebend, then it would be undeniably obvious that it was Zuko. Um, so just relying on those other skills. Uh, oh, I love it. I loved this episode. <laughs> Even his weapon is kind of like a sandbagging... That, you know, it, he pulls it out of the sheath and it's one sword until he splits them up and two, there's two. Yeah. yeah. Cool weapons, cool fight sequence. And I, the, there's kind of a scene that sort of mirrors the scene that Aang and Zuko have a little bit later. But when Zuko's knocked out, and that's when you find out it's Zuko because you can see a hint of his scar under the right. mask. And you can see Aang see it and you can also 
see Aang kind of have to decide, do I save him? Do I not save him? Do I save him? Do I not save him? And of course he's going to save him because he's Aang. And it's not just because he's right. the Avatar. That's just the character we've come to know. He's that kind of kid. But it, it does. It mirrors that later conversation where he has with Zuko later. And Zuko, of course, doesn't make that decision. And this is the thing that about Zuko is that for like every good decision Zuko makes, he makes like two bad ones. And you're just like, Gah! yeah, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. Yeah. The other note that I had on this episode wasn't really anything specific, but that when Zuko returns to the ship, Iroh's like, where have you been? You missed music night. Zuko's <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> Zuko never goes to music night. Right. That might be the new rule of the show. <laughs> Zuko doesn't do music night, all right? Oh, I love it. Such a great, petulant teenager, but with depth. <laughs> uh, any other small things that you guys have on this one? Just uh, that Iroh, when, when Zhao pulled up to the thing, his ship or whatever, uh, Iroh was hustling people at Pie Show. Yeah. Oh, I have that line, too. <laughs> you are improving. I'm certain you will win if we play again. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, Sokka got most of the laughs from me this episode because he was hallucinating because he was sick. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he just goes, take you that, rock. you rock. <laughs> And then someone's like, he thinks he's an earthbender. It's like, you know what I love about Appa the most? His sense of humor. Right. I was like, that's nice, I'll tell him. And it's like the guitar's also, delivery that killed me. Oh, God. I also really loved when Katara is talking to Momo to get them water, and it, you see it, her from Momo's point of view, and yeah, she's Momo just vision. talking nonsense. Yeah, she's all Charlie Brown's teacher, like, just honking noises. Yeah. Uh, I told you guys Momo was dumb as a rock. <laughs> You're pretty dumb. It's, you know, did, you guys have seen Frasier? Yes. Yeah. There's an episode where they're talking about the dog, Eddie, and they're arguing uh -huh. about how smart Eddie, Eddie is and how much Eddie can understand what they talk about. And, and then they switch to Eddie's point of view, and it's all black and white, and he's looking at Frazier and his brother, and all he hears is yada 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 Eddie, yada 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 Eddie, blah 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 Eddie, blah 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 Eddie. That's like exactly what I thought of when in the sort of Momo vision, where he's just like blankly staring at Katara, like right. You can practically hear his like horns, his like you know entrance music, honk 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 honk, and he's just like there is nothing going on in that lemur's brain, like at all. I mean, he he got a pretty impressive collection of shit for them that wasn't water. <laughs> and isn't he so funny? He brings a crown to Katara. Right? Where did that even come and from? And I think what kills, like Sokka says something about your highness or something. Yeah. <laughs> and Katara's just like, ah. <laughs> like, in the little, the little bits of humor, I think sprinkled in there even though like the real emotional meat of the episodes not with them but you know you remind us that there's emotional stakes to be had beyond just what's going on with Aang and Zuko right and like another thing I, I made a note of was like wait my friends need to suck on those frogs <laughs> right <laughs> and then I just wrote Aang because he's a total sweetie and totally innocent 
Yeah. Yeah, other than that, I've just got... Um, the only voice actor who was even sort of new or noteworthy uh, was the crazy old lady witch doctor person. Her name is Jody Carlisle. And her biggest credit is Marianne Thornberry from The Wild Thornberries. I was like, that vo- her voice is so familiar. And I was like, The Wild Thornberries. Yeah. That's yep. exactly where I've heard her. Yep. Yep. Nice. Do you guys have any spoiler stuff that I should? Yeah, sit I have out a couple. For? I have a couple. Yeah, one <laughs> yeah. or two. <laughs> All right, I will take off my headphones. Let me know when you want me to come back. Okay. Okay. so self-conscious after that we, we got some good nuggets of, of both <laughs> plot and um some talking about your feelings <laughs> <laughs> my feelings i mean like i All said right. the show's really good at it it's really good at just gut punching you in the feels mm-hmm. for true oh my gosh That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next time we'll be covering four episodes again, uh, The Fortune Teller, Bato of the Water Tribe, The Deserter, and The Northern Air Temple. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. As always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your podcast provider of choice, or visit us at our website, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at BookishChick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on on Twitter, not Instagram. (laughs) And you can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S on Twitter, or my website at sjjones.com. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin McLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.